The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to According to Ayurveda and Yoga with your host, Ann Holiday. Ayurveda and yoga are often poorly understood, and there are many misconceptions about them. According to Ayurveda and Yoga is a series of shows on the concepts of this ancient knowledge of life and consciousness presented in a way which is easy to understand. Now, here is Ann Holiday. This is your host, Ann Holiday. Welcome to the first program on the origins, history, and principles of Ayurveda and Yoga. This series will be rather like a course, not one which you can use to qualify in anything, but to give you a better understanding. I will be telling you a little bit about myself in this program and my travels and how I became inspired to tell the world about the science of life both through talk radio and my dream to create a global community centered around the concepts of this ancient knowledge. Ayurveda is a holistic medical system based on a philosophy which has been preserved in India and is the primary medical system in Nepal and Sri Lanka. It is recognized by the World Health Organization, Health Organization and is the mother of all medicine because it is the oldest. And yoga is based on the same philosophy, which is why I talk about yoga and Ayurveda together, because to know one is to know, understand the other. Yoga is the science of consciousness, and by practicing the two together in an integrated manner, one can achieve complete health of body, mind, and spirit. So let's start at the beginning and look at the words Ayurveda and Yoga, which many of you will already be familiar with. They are Sanskrit words, and Sanskrit is the original written language of the ancient world. Latin, in fact, derived from Sanskrit. An Ayurveda is made up of two Sanskrit words, Eru meaning life and Veda meaning knowledge. So it means the knowledge or science of life. Yoga is also a Sanskrit word which means to unite or connect. It is the practice of connecting or uniting with our inner self or a higher state of consciousness. And you probably understand yoga as an exercise regime which involves holding postures. And this is actually part of the practice of Hatha yoga called asana. Um, I don't want to talk too much about this now because I want to focus on the basics. And there will be a program devoted to yoga later on. Ayurveda, the science of life, is only a part of a number of Vedas or bodies of knowledge. And this knowledge came from the Rishis, 
who were sages or wise men of ancient India, and it goes back thousands of years. The Vedas, or knowledge, was passed down from one generation to another by word of mouth originally, and 35,000 years ago, when Ayurveda evolved, the knowledge was already quite sophisticated and developed into a comprehensive medical system, which included similar specialties that we have in modern medicine today, such as surgery, pediatrics, toxicology and OBG, OBGYN and so on. Now, the rishis based the, their science on the observations of nature, including their study of the universe. And they were able to document the laws of nature, which includes laws of physics, chemistry, astrology, astronomy, mathematics, ge- geometry, and many other sciences. And by watching nature, they were able to understand that life is a continuous cycle of creation, maintenance, and destruction. They watched animals and noticed their instinctive symbiotic relationship with the earth and saw how nature perpetuates and rejuvenates itself in a continuous fashion. They realized that life on earth is determined by energy, which not only comes from the sun, but from the entire cosmos, and that the earth is an integral part of a vast system of universes. Therefore, just as any in one, energy in one part of the body is affected by another, so is the earth affected by the energies of other parts of the universe. Thousands of years ago, of course, India was not as we know it today. Uh, but included the Himalayas, which is connected to, to Tibet, China, and Egypt, and all through the ancient world. So these philosophies spread far and wide. Ayurveda is thought of as an Indian system of medicine, but it is called Indian medicine, not Chinese medicine, because Ayurveda is the mother of all medicine. It is just that India has preserved it over centuries of occupation by invaders who tried to crush it. It is a universal knowledge of life because it is the science of nature and applies wherever there is life. So how did I discover Ayurveda? My lifetime career has been in radiation therapy But after 35 years of practice, I no longer hold a purpose for radiation therapy. I was working in uh, New Zealand at the time, soon after my husband died, and I was looking at different branches of natural medicine, when one day my friend said to me, why don't you look into Ayurveda? What is that, I said. Oh, I don't know, she replied. I think they make soap. Even today, she doesn't know that that statement set me on a path which changed my life. Not because Ayurveda makes soap, but because I looked into it on the internet and found a 10-day course in India. And so I went. I had no clue what I was letting myself in for. I knew nothing about spirituality or anything from that part of of the world. But I thought it was worth looking into. 
Anyway, in India, I was introduced to an extraordinary family and an Ayurvedic physician who has continued to be my teacher. The course developed into a three-month stay when I studied with Dr. Johan and took Ayurveda treatments from him. I won't go into the details of this treatment now because I don't want to jump into that, but to go step-by-step through the process of learning the concepts of Ayurveda, and we'll deal with that later. Anyway, after my treatment, I realized that I hadn't really been felt healthy for many, many years, if ever. And after studying Ayurveda, I also realized and understood that the principles are so fundamental to life, they're really very simple, but at the same time, extraordinarily complex. But of course, this is the science of life, the science of nature, and this is how nature intends life to be. We look at these principles every day, but because we are not aware of them, they don't, and we don't understand them and apply them into our lives. Needless to say, I went back to the States and was sold on Ayurveda and of course wanted to convert everyone I ran into. But instead I ran into a brick wall because the people I talked to hadn't experienced what I had and were not aware of, it, of what I was saying. I find that the modern world operates as if it only depended on mankind to run it. We have forgotten how dependent we are on nature and on the earth and and how we live. I used to be the same. It's all about what's easy these days. We don't have to grow the vegetables, break the bread. We don't have to cook if we don't want to. We abuse our bodies and do whatever we want without awareness of ourselves. Then when things go wrong, we expect there to be a remedy to fix it. So I was regarded as some sort of eccentric and really rather dull. But I have stuck to the principles of Ayurveda in my life. And I'm glad because I really think that if I hadn't made the change when I did... I would probably be dead by now, or at least not living the life to the fullest. Over the past 10 years, I've been studying Ayurveda and yoga in India and in the States. I travel all the time, practicing, teaching, and learning. And when I was invited to do this show on Voice America, it was an opportunity not to miss because I want everyone in the world to experience the feeling of waking up every morning full of energy, knowing what it has to be done to keep (coughs) the body in tip-top shape, and the joy of looking after the most important vehicle that we, we own. It's not difficult at all, but not complicated, and it doesn't cost money. Over the past years... I have been never been sick. I know what to do if I feel an imbalance. I travel all over the world and sometimes go days without sleep. But I know how to treat my body so that traveling doesn't affect me. Most of all, I am happy and comfortable in accepting of who I am 
and where I am in the place in uh, this place in my life. I realize that what is what is important, which is to live each day to the fullest, even when the only thing to do may be to just clean the house. Life is a gift. Health is a gift. But it has to be looked after. And it's like anything else in life. It, you must understand, work at it, and be persistent to get results. Now, I still haven't told you very much about what Ayurveda is. We've said that it's a holistic medical system, but it's much more than that. It's, a, it's the mother of all medicine, and modern medicine is derived from that. So it is a well-established, evidence-based medical system. It is energy healing, which focuses on the principle that disease happens when energies are out of balance. We talk about energy all the time, don't we? But really, we don't know what we mean when we say it. We know when we have energy, and we certainly know when we don't have it, but we don't really understand what we're talking about when we say energy. And Ayurveda defines energy very specifically and how it drives every cell in the body and everything in nature. Science also recognizes energy in a similar way as kinetic energy, uh, heat energy, uh, and the potential energy, which is the energy within matter. In this series of programs, we'll look closely at energy and how it affects the body, the mind, and our spiritual nature, and learn how to manage energy, therefore how to manage health and prevent disease. We'll also look at how this knowledge applies to every aspect of living. So where does yoga fit into the picture? We have said that it means to unite and is the science of consciousness. So it is uniting with our spiritual nature, which is who we are. Now, this doesn't mean or get, must not be confused with religion. And I want to make this very clear early on in the series. This philosophy goes back a long, long time, long before religion, long before Hinduism, even though Hinduism has preserved much of the spiritual teachings. There is an element of spirituality in all religions, and it is consciousness, and consciousness unites us as humans, and it unites us to, un uh, us to nature. Yoga comes from the same philosophy of the Rishis. Therefore, yoga and Ayurveda are sister sciences, which came first is subject to debate. But to me, it doesn't matter. What is important is that we understand because with understanding comes awareness and with awareness, we can bring about change both within ourselves and in the world around us. We talk about changing the world, or at least I do, without really thinking about it. Uh, but in reality, the only thing that we can change is ourselves. Even though there have been people in history who have changed the direction of the world. 
But I truly believe that if everyone, regardless of race, creed or color, understood and practiced the principles of Ayurveda and yoga, there would be a common understanding throughout the world and the problems could be addressed and the problems today are significant but we could solve them universally if we all had this understanding. The present system is not working. We are divided as people and we need to come together as a global community to to unite on this world as one. It is so important to understand the concepts of Ayurveda and yoga. They're not difficult but they do require a bit of a shift in thinking in the Western mind. In this series, it in this series of talks, coupled with videos and blogs on the website, you can get accurate information and learn enough to start bringing in these concepts to your life and join a worldwide conversation. In the next segment, we will address some fundamental principles which I think are important to understand. I'll talk about the Vedic theory of evolution, which brings us to the principle of the five elements, which are the, which are the energies which give matter its characteristics. I also want to have a brief discussion on the law of karma, and we'll go into these principles after a short break. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The According to Ayurveda and Yoga Global Community welcomes you to join the conversation at atetv.com where you can share your experiences of holistic health, ask questions, make comments, and write blogs. It is through atetv.com that professional members committed to bringing authentic knowledge to the world can connect with you. Material from Ate Radio Shows are also available. ATTV.com. Visit ATAYTV.com today. Good childhood mental health is critically important. Early patterns of emotions and thinking shape children's behavior from preschool into the teen years and beyond. But understanding young kids can be a challenge. Tune in to Child Psych Central. Discover the kid brain with Dr. Beth Onafrak. Each week, we will reveal how brain function and child development drive young children's daily behavior. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. It's one of the best things that you can do as a parent. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You are listening to According to Ayurveda and Yoga with Ann Holiday. If you have questions or comments about our program, we would like to hear from you. Please contact us via email to info at ataytv.com. That's info at ataytv.com. Now, back to According to Ayurveda and Yoga. Welcome back. The Vedic theory of creation brings us to the principle of the five elements, which is fundamental to Ayurveda and yoga. There are a lot of Sanskrit words in this segment which don't have an English equivalent. And so I suggest that you go to ataytv.com where there is a glossary and videos and blogs for a review. Now, the first principle of evolution is prakriti, and prakriti is a Sanskrit word which means true nature. And in this case, it is the base substance of the universe, which I think is probably what science calls dark matter. On its own, it is unconscious, unintelligent and inert, but does possess the potential for manifestation. Prakriti has three qualities called the gunas. The first is the quality of purity and balance, which is called sattva. Next is rajas, the potential for action. And tamas, the quality of inertia or resistance to action. Prakriti is the first quality or cause of the universe and accounts for whatever is physical, which is matter and energy. Einstein's theory of E equals mc squared essentially says that energy and matter are the same thing and are interchangeable. The second principle is that of Purusha, which is the source of consciousness. Purusha is the manifestor or the intelligence principle and is pure, independent and free. Purusha is neither produced nor does it produce, it just is. In the first stage of evolution, Prakriti and Purusha merge together and Prakriti manifests and begins to evolve into primal nature. Einstein's theory recognizes the evolution of matter but does not recognize this factor of consciousness. And Stephen Hawkins' explanation in the Big Bang Theory is very similar. But again, he does not recognize the intelligence principle. In this philosophy, there has to be a union of Prakriti and Purusha for the manifestation of matter. Prakriti has three qualities and from its characteristic of purity, remember for sattva, comes the third principle, which is cosmic intelligence, which is the principle behind life and the laws of nature. From the action quality comes the fourth principle, which is ego, or in Sanskrit, ahankara. And this is the sense of self or sense of identification with the world outside. The ego is influenced by cosmic intelligence and has three qualities. And it has to have an instrument through which it can work, so it projects the mind. Therefore, mind has to exist in everything for life to have a sense of identification. 
From the pure aspect of ego, the five sense organs evolve, which are the ears, the skin, eyes, the tongue, and nose, which are the instruments for experiences of the mind. And from the action aspect, the five motor organs evolve. And from the inertia aspect of ego, the five elements evolve, which are ether or space, air, fire, water and earth, which represent the physical aspects of the universe. The word element has many meanings. We may say this book has all the elements of a good story, meaning the ingredients. Then there is the elements in the periodic table. And we also say we have to protect ourselves from the elements or weather, which is nature. And this is a similar context to the use of element here. The main thing to remember from the Vedic theory of evolution is that the five elements are connected to the five senses. The sense of hearing to ether, the sense of touch to air, the sense of sight to fire, and the sense of taste to water, and the sense of smell to earth, and, and that all life has some form of intelligence. Maybe not the way we understand intelligence, but nevertheless, intelligence, this, uh, just the same. The f concept of the five elements is so fundamental to us that we take it for granted, but when you realize that life would not exist without these elements, they are in every atom, every cell, every plant, every living thing is made up of these five elements. And that gives you a glimpse of why Ayurveda is such a profound knowledge. You will see in coming programs as we talk about different aspects of health and the earth that it is the five elements and their energies that govern all life and the earth itself. So now we will analyze the five elements a little further. The first is the earth element, which is the densest, because it has all of the other five it has all of the five elements in it, including water, fire, air, and ether, as well as earth. And water contains all the elements except earth, and fire contains all the elements except water and earth, and air is just ether and air. I mean, air is ether, and air, and air, of course, is space. Space is often referred to as the fifth element because it, is, it has no material matter in it and is pure with no other elements. Space is in everything. Uh, it is in the four material elements of air, fire, water, and earth, as we just said, and we can therefore say that the elements are merely denser forms of ether or space. That is why ether exists in all physical things and why it is the most pervasive. Matter is made up of atoms and atoms are mostly space. In other words, we can say that solid matter is in fact an illusion and is simply fields of energy, which takes us back to Einstein's theory saying that energy and matter are essentially the same thing. Now let's consider the qualities of the five elements. We learned that the five elements are associated with the five senses. 
So the elements act as the gross medium for sensations. The ether element is difficult to describe because it is nothing. We know that space is there, but at the same time, the reason that it is space is that there is nothing. If you take a pot, for instance, which has space in it, defined by the pot itself, but if you break the pot, the space becomes part of another space. It doesn't go away. And even though space is nothing, it does have qualities, which are softness, lightness, subtleness, and smoothness. Now, air is denser than ether, but has the same subtlety and lightness. And it is mobile, so it promotes movement. In fact, it is constantly moving, and we are not aware of its power until there is a force behind it. A gentle breeze is very refreshing, but when it becomes a tornado, it's a different story. Air itself is drying, but it can carry moisture as well, as in humidity. Air can be heard and felt, so it has the sensory quality of touch. The fire element has the qualities of ether and air with hot, sharp and slightly oily properties. The quality of heat promotes combustion. Fire is the power of transformation. In nature, fire is essential as it transforms one substance into another, such as wood into charcoal. Fire with the qualities of air and ether can be heard, felt and seen, so it has the quality of sight. When fire is under control, it's very soothing and calming, but if it gets out of control, as in a forest fire, where there's a lot of air in it, it it is a force to contend with. We use water to put out a fire because the fire element doesn't contain water. But if it's an oily fire, water can't be used because fire and water have oily properties. So the way to extinguish this type of fire is to cut off the air, which is inherent in the fire. Water is liquid and oily and has the quality of coldness and it promotes cohesion, as in two wet pieces of paper which stick together. It's also moist, heavy and soft. Water contains all of the elements except earth and it has no smell but can be heard, felt, seen and tasted. So it has the sensory quality of taste. Water is everywhere on earth and in everything. All living things are mostly water. Water is very heavy and when there is a force affecting it, such as gravity in a waterfall or in the tides, then the the power of water is immense. The base element earth is heavy, very stable and hard in nature. It's tough and dense. And when the earth element is dominant, there is compactness, heaviness and stability. The earth element contains all the other elements and can be perceived by all of the five senses, that of hearing, touching, seeing, tasting and smelling. So its sensory quality is smell. Everything in nature is made up of the five elements and it is the combination of these elements which gives matter its characteristics. 
So now we'll move on to the law of karma, which is a significant law of nature in Eastern philosophy particularly. Karma is defined as cause and effect, or that which gives rise to a result. In other words, everything that happens has to have at some time an action which caused it to happen. So what you're seeing or feeling now is the effect of the previous action. In the West, we have a similar notion to karma in the phrase, what goes around comes around. Karma is a natural law, not a moral law, which is not defined by our culture, but applies to the whole human race. The Vedas describe karma as the ritual we do in life. In fact, all life really is, is repeated actions which produce results, and each action has an effect. Karma manifests in our emotions and thoughts. If we get angry at someone, or if someone makes us angry, ultimately the anger disturbs us and has more effect on ourselves than it has on the person who made us angry. So even though the other person was the cause of our anger, the effect is on ourself and we have to deal with the consequences. Outward cause and effect is much more obvious to us. For example, if you spill boiling water on your hand and scald yourself, the cause of the blister is clearly evident. But if you take advantage of another person, you may not realize the effect of that until someone takes advantage of you. You may may show kindness to another person, but they don't appreciate it and you are disappointed. But the effects of your kindness will always come back to you in a way that you don't necessarily connect to your original kindness. The Vedas say that we are working out difficult karma as a process of purification. Therefore, suffering and misfortune allow us to see the most important things in life. And it is a means of going beyond karma rather than an indication of bad karma. We say violence begets violence. Violence causes unhappiness not only in the person who is the victim of violence, but also in the person who inflicts it. Nonviolence brings peace in both the person who receives it and the person who practices it. Karma also manifests in the physical body. Supposing you eat a certain type of food which nourishes the body in a positive way, gives you a lot of energy and makes you feel satisfied. The cause of eating that food has a positive effect. But then you may eat another type of food which gives you indigestion and you feel bloated. So this food has a negative effect. We are much more likely to make a connection to a food that we've eaten recently when we feel a bad effect than we are to a food that we've eaten in the past when we develop an ulcer, for instance. Whatever happens has a cause, which has been brought about by our actions. This makes us responsible for our own mental and physical condition, which means that if we have the means to create a problem, so do we have the means to correct it. The healing power of Ayurveda is that first 
we take responsibility for our condition with the understanding that it was our actions which caused it. And then we have to take an active role in reversing the negative effects we are experiencing. Only we can change the chain of cause and effect. No one else except ourselves can break the cycle. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The According to Ayurveda and Yoga Global Community welcomes you to join the conversation at atetv.com, where you can share your experiences of holistic health, ask questions, make comments, and write blogs. It is through atetv.com that professional members committed to bringing authentic knowledge to the world can connect with you. Material from Ate Radio Shows are also available. atetv.com. Visit ataytv.com today. Fitness is important to keep your body in tip-top shape now and aging gracefully for the future. The Fitness Momentum Show with Coach Michael Merlino is designed to be your guide to fitness and running, whether you're a beginner or ready to run your next marathon. By paying attention to and following the tips offered by Michael and his guests, you'll be able to essentially be your own trainer. Get the most out of your fitness regimen and tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan and Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to According to Ayurveda and Yoga with Ann Holiday. If you have questions or comments about our program, we would like to hear from you. Please contact us via email to info at ataytv.com. That's info at ataytv.com. Now, back to According to Ayurveda and Yoga. In this segment, I want to talk a little bit about how Ayurveda compares to modern medicine, particularly in the approach to disease. I think that this is where many people get disillusioned with about Ayurveda because in the modern world we have got used to going to the doctor with a complaint or a symptom, having a diagnosis made and then taking a course of treatment which usually involves drugs. And then after a relatively short period of time we see effects but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are cured and we haven't really learnt anything about our condition or how, it, how to manage it ourselves. So modern medicine is a system which treats disease or conditions of some sort. We don't go to the doctor when we are healthy. 
Ayurveda regards disease as an imbalance of the energies which govern the body and mind and realizes that it takes a long time for symptoms to appear. So therefore, it's going to take a long time to bring the body back to balance. Ayurveda treats the individual and not the disease. And as we have seen, we're all made up of a unique combination of the five elements. So even if the disease is the same, the approach to treatment is going to be individualized. This is what makes Ayurveda fundamentally different, and I think why people get the wrong idea about it, because they don't see the results immediately. And the idea of energy healing somehow seems a little bit strange. I also think that because Ayurveda is based on ancient knowledge, people tend to think that it hasn't evolved over time. We're programmed these days to think in terms of the latest remedy or drug as being the best. The media loves to get us excited over a new experimental drug or a breakthrough, this or that. And because these treatments have gone through studies and have been tested and so on, we believe that they're going to be more effective. So when we are faced with something that's thousands of years old, we don't think it has any value. But compared to modern medicine, which is perhaps 200 years old and is scientifically based, Ayurveda has evolved over thousands of years and is evidence-based. The drugs, the herbal medicines and the treatments have been going for over 3,000 years and, of course, they are not the same as they were in the beginning. It too has evolved like modern medicine has. I recently returned from India where I was presenting some papers at a couple of international conferences. Not that I'm trying to tell the Indian Ayurveda community anything, but I think that it is helpful to share our experience of modern medicine and um, to help in the evolution of Ayurveda throughout the world. And, of course, um, India has much more experience with it. I was at a holistic health conference in Katayam, which is in Kerala. Kerala is in, on the west coast of India, and down at the very tip, the part that points into the ocean. Uh, there was a very prominent Ayurveda physician there uh, at this conference, and I was very fortunate in managed to talk to him and record an interview. However, it was a spontaneous conversation and he had to leave soon afterwards, so it was not well prepared. There was a lot of background noise and added to that, his English was very difficult to understand, so we were unable to use this recording. However, I still would like to convey his message in this program because I think he sums up um, the situation that we are facing in the modern world with the different systems that are out there. Dr. Raghavan comes from the lineage of Ayurveda and that means that many of his family were Ayurveda physicians and much of his knowledge has been passed down. He started learning Ayurveda principles at the age of nine and then qualified 
as an Ayurvedic physician. He went on to become a surgeon in modern medicine and now practices medicine as an integrated system. He specializes in incurable conditions such as neuromuscular and congenital and degenerative diseases. His patients come to him from all over the world and he has a clinic in Kerala and uh, is actually, as we speak, building a hospital there and also a clinic in Montenegro. I asked Dr. Raghavan what he thought of medical practice in the modern world today. He said that Ayurveda is a universal concept, and when I asked him if he thought that Ayurveda could again become a universal system of medicine, he said definitely. In fact, it already is. But Ayurvedic practitioners do not realize the value, the potential, and the utility of Ayurveda, so consequently, it has been brought down to the level of massage. He went on to say that in all branches of modern medicine, Ayurveda has a prominent role to play. For example, cerebral palsy and all genetic disorders in children can be treated successfully by Ayurveda as the mainstream. In modern medicine, there is no treatment for coma patients as such. They're only maintained as a vegetable, but there are methods by which they can be made productive again using Ayurveda principles. The potentialities of Ayurveda are not known to the world, he said, and it is our mission to make it known by documenting the evidence. We don't believe in all these different systems. What mankind needs now is a system of medicine that is evidence-based. There shouldn't be any walls between modern medicine, Ayurveda, allopathy, etc., Whatever is effective and safe for the patient should be documented and practiced by everybody. Education needs to be developed where doctors can study modern medicine and evidence-based systems also to create an integrated system where efficacy is the standard. I commented on the fact that it was my impression that Ayurveda was trying to make itself look like modern medicine, which really is like pushing a square peg into a round hole because the principles are quite different. Ayurveda treats the individual and not the disease and strengthens the patient to fight the disease. Yes, he said, the cause of the the disease and the symptoms may be the same. Even the lab findings the same, but the treatment modality will be different because each patient is an individual, therefore the approach will be different in each case. An integrated approach must be patient-centered, which means that when suggestions for treatment are made, the patient can choose. These are the treatments available, these are the merits and the demerits, and the patient can choose whichever is best for for himself. This is a patient-centered approach. In modern medicine, the patient visits the physician, presents his complaints, the physician examines and decides on what has to be done, not necessarily according to the desires of the patient, whose likes and dislikes are of no concern. 
The role of the physician is to remove the cause and effect of disease completely and restore quality of life. A team approach is necessary where the patient is an integral part of the whole system, together with the physician, the attendant and the, and the medicine. These are the four pillars of a well-organized system. Patients can participate in their own healing and learn how to control health and fight disease. The success of any treatment depends on the digestion, which must be normal and stimulated. The strength of the patient must be optimal and they should have a healthy complexion. These three things must happen for a successful outcome. This is what makes Ayurveda fundamentally different from medicine today. Dr. Raghavan is featured on the website uh, at ATV.com. The main thing to remember here is that even though disease is the same, it manifests it manifests differently in every individual. So treatment has to be customized involving whatever approach is the most appropriate for the patient. This approach takes longer, but by getting to the root cause and addressing the effects, treatment without side effects can be achieved and the results are more likely to be permanent. Now, I don't want you to think that I am undermining modern medicine in any way. I myself worked in medicine. I was married to a physician who was a pathologist and an, and an oncologist. He was an exceptionally learned man, as physicians are, when you consider how much training and education they have. We are very fortunate in today's world to have so much expertise at our disposal. However, healing, like in Ayurveda, is difficult to practice these days because of the costs, not only of the education, but of providing care. Time with patients has to be limited. It would be impossible to treat each patient as an individual. Certainly, if you are in an accident or have an acute situation, modern medicine is going to be the solution, particularly with the, techno the advanced technology that we have today. But for chronic disease, an integrated approach to care is much better. So in conclusion then, I have made many connections in many con countries over the years, so I hope that there are listeners to According to Ayurveda and Yoga all over the world. Please help me to spread the word of Ayurveda and yoga in your community. Let's start a worldwide conversation on this today. On this program and at TV.com, you can express your concerns, bring up any issues which you have. I want to know what your questions are. This is the only way that practitioners in allopathy and in holistic medicine can shape the future of healthcare. I welcome your comments, questions, criticisms, testimonials, be they positive or negative. I want to hear what you have to say. Each week I will address as many questions as I can on the program, but many will have to be addressed through email or, or on the website. 
I only know what I know, um, and I don't profess to know everything, but I do know where to look for answers. By making ataytv.com our meeting place, we can build a global community to make a better world for the future. These programs are a step-by-step process of learning uh, the concepts of Ayurveda and yoga. And today we started at the beginning. So please make your queries relevant to this program. For homework, I'm going to ask you to look around in your community for Ayurvedic and natural health professionals and invite them to email info at ataytv.com and become a member of our professional global community. By doing so, they can not only promote their own practice, but be a part of an instrument for change. Alone, I can do very little, but collectively, we could change the world. So friends, family and contacts around the world, this is all for today. I hope you enjoyed this program. I will be online at voiceamerica.com at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesdays. You can listen to my programs on ataytv.com and on iTunes and, of course, on Voice of America. There is a lot of supplemental information on the website which will be helpful to review before we go on to the next subject, which is Ayurveda and Physical Health. I will leave you with one more last thing to do, which is one of the best things that you can do for your health, and that is to laugh. Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye for now. Thank you for tuning in to According to Ayurveda and Yoga. Be sure to join Ann Holiday again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about Ann, our radio program, and supplemental information about what you've heard today, please visit the website ataytv.com. Until our next program, wishing you health and happiness. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.